We believe in the viability of theatrical. We've tried to be opportunistic and wait for the environment to be right. And I think we've been successful in doing that. But, you know, Top Gun has been a, you know, a two-year wait. And I think all the wait was worth it. And there were a lot of doubters leading up to this release about, hey, we've had four or five release dates. And, you know, hasn't this movie come out already? Well, now it has. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Daniel Luria, the Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively dedicated to covering the world of theatrical exhibition. Today we've got another exciting episode going over the global box office figures for Top Gun Maverick. We have here joining us our co-host Rebecca Pauly, Deputy Editor of Box Office Pro. And we have also joining us from our colleagues at Box Office Pro France, Romeo Duchenne. Together we will be going over that global box office opening weekend of Top Gun Maverick, which set a domestic record for the Memorial Day weekend. And later on in today's episode, Rebecca Polly will be speaking with four of the filmmakers behind the NATO Young Filmmaker Program, an initiative by the National Association of Theater Owners to engage young filmmakers on the theatrical experience and making movies for movie theaters. But let's just jump right in here. There's a lot of numbers to go through. Let's call this a victory lap episode because it's a lot of good news. Romeo, Rebecca, I know you guys have already seen the movie, so you might have done something else this weekend. How's this long holiday weekend for you? Uh, well, I, I did not go to the movies. I did spend a lot of time, you know, it's the beginning of the summer season, Memorial Day weekend, and thus it is when uh, my boyfriend's neighborhood like pool opens. So I had to do that and I am very sunburned right now, but <laughs> happy the Top Gun did well. <laughs> Romeo, this is your first holiday weekend here in the United States since you yeah. moved to LA from Paris. How was Memorial Day weekend in Los Angeles for you? Well, hello everyone. Hello, Rebecca, hello, Daniel. And yeah, that was my first Memorial weekend for me. And and I went to see Top Gun for the second time. But that was my very first time in a, in a proper theater in the States. So I went to the AMC Promenade 16 in the valley in Woodland Hills. And uh, in Adobe Vision, that was like uh, a great experience. Even I was already I already watched that movie in, uh, in at CinemaCon. But uh, in Adobe Vision, that was just great. I mean, the, the cinema experience was awesome. And I was very surprised to see that many people in the theater. So yeah, great weekend. You know, I'm a huge fan of anything to do with movie theater concessions. And Romeo, I know in France, that's not such a thing. Was What was your, what yeah, were your yeah. thoughts on the like concessions culture of American multiplexes? <laughs> Yeah, I have to be honest, I was a little bit shocked when I entered the theater and I or I directly smelled that salty concession smell and I was very yeah, surprised and when I entered the theater I've seen that there's concession box office stuff and it just felt like the Burger King in Champs-Élysées in Paris <laughs> that was kind of the same size so I was like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go into the numbers here because it was uh, the best Memorial Day opening weekend here at the domestic box office and the best opening weekend for Star Tom Cruise with Top Gun Maverick, a 126.7 million three-day opening weekend. When we include that four-day holiday weekend, that Memorial Day Monday 
it rises up to 156 million guys. Uh, Rebecca, domestically, this was a big, big, big weekend. And we know that AMC theaters, the top cinema circuit here in the United States, not only counted with Romeo's uh, first trip to an American uh, movie theater, <laughs> it was the first time for a lot of older audiences coming back. They released a press release this morning touting the results. Yeah, there were about 4 million guests who came uh, to an AMC in the United States total through the four-day weekend, two-thirds of them uh, for Top Gun Maverick. So we definitely uh, have seen that this movie is successful in, in getting people back to the cinemas when maybe they haven't gone. Um, that includes uh, that demographic that we've been talking so much about uh, during this recovery period, older ticket buyers, which in the press release, uh, they count that as 35 and older. So I'm just going to not let that hurt my ego and say, yes, the 35 years and older are the old moviegoers, and 55% of tickets uh, to Talk on Maverick was from that uh, that demographic. So, so some good numbers, and uh, you know, America was not alone in that when it comes to the performance of Top Gun Maverick for sure. Yeah, an unbelievable international opening weekend, and Romeo will be going over those numbers shortly. Uh, I want to just dig into some of these domestic demographic numbers uh, that we got from Paramount over the weekend. Rebecca, you went over a couple of those very generally. A male skewing film here, 58% male here in the United States, 45% uh, of moviegoers being under the age of 35, meaning that the lion's share here are people over 35 years old going to the cinema, many of them coming back for the first time since the pandemic. The largest audience segment domestically, however, was in the 18 to 24 range. Actually, 21% of moviegoers went out to see Top Gun Maverick. That was a big question we had ahead of release. How will younger audiences look at a movie like Top Gun Maverick that was a cultural milestone in the 80s? And a statistic that, that actually interested me, uh, Daniel, I know there's this kind of perception maybe of a lot of the film industry. It's very, uh, you know, East Coast, West Coast, very, you know, those big, uh, those big metropolises. But Top Gun Maverick actually over-indexed in markets all across the United States. That's right, Rebecca. We had a great over-indexing performance outside of that New York and Los Angeles market bubble that usually leads to the domestic box office here in the United States. We had a great result in the West and specifically cities like Phoenix, Salt Lake City, Seattle, San Diego. In the Southeast, we had Tampa Bay over-indexing. And in the middle of the country, uh, cities like Kansas City, Nashville, and Oklahoma City really doing a lot better than they usually do with a movie like this one. If we look at the top grossing theaters here provided by Paramount for this film, it's actually an interesting and eclectic mix around the country. So we had Los Angeles and New York, uh, as usually is the case when we have a big opening weekend, but also cities like Nashville, San Antonio, Knoxville, Denver, Dallas, Washington, D.C., uh, Portland, Oregon, Fresno, Orlando, a really varied mix. We can safely say this was a movie that domestically really spoke to a large section of the wide audience in the United States. Knoxville and, uh, and Kansas City, I wonder if, uh, if, if Regal and AMC were like closing their headquarters early to let people go. That's a good question. We'll see. I mean, Knoxville, you had Kansas City. Absolutely. Those were big, big exhibition hubs. 
And you also have Dallas, obviously, where we have not too far away Plano uh, Cinemark being headquartered. These numbers are reflective of a domestic audience that really supported the film. And I think that pairs out when we look at the global opening weekend. It's very rare, guys, to see a studio blockbuster capture half of its global market share from North America alone. That happened here. Overseas markets combined to a very positive $126 million. Uh, Romeo, you're looking at the data here internationally. That was led by the United Kingdom. Yeah, exactly. UK did like almost uh, 20 million uh, US dollar. For most of international markets, uh, what we can like remember, the best opening since uh, No Way Home, basically. Uh, and so now I think every market is looking into very long legs. They hope for that because in a couple of weeks we have a Jurassic uh, World Dominion. Um, so yeah, I think Tom, Tom Cruise did already a lot of uh, great record, especially in the UK, leading the international uh, opening. Uh, and France is uh, a second one with uh, almost twelve, uh, almost twelve million dollars, uh, and it's uh, it's all, again best opening since No Way Home. Uh, will he cross the four million admission mark? I don't know. Tom Cruise only crossed that mark two times in his career in France, for instance, with Rain Man and Mission Impossible for the first one. So it's going to be a challenge. Challenge is still there. And uh, I'm heading to see uh, what uh, Jurassic World is, uh, is about to do, because I think we don't have shown on, uh, on, the, on the show today, but I think the opening for Jurassic World should be around the same opening as Top Gun, but without uh, one day, with a one day less. So probably around 150, 160 for the domestic market. That'll be interesting to see. And if we look from a dollar for dollar basis here in the French market with uh, comparables from not that long ago, No Time to Die opening at 9.6 million in France, Mission Impossible Fallout opening at 8.6 million. So that 11.7 from the French market, as you say, Romeo, really the best opening weekend since Spider-Man. A nice bit of momentum here. What did it look like at the concession stand? Because we know we're also tracking this data through our parent company, the box office company, how ticket sales lead to some of that concession spend. How does it track with how concessions have sold in the French market so far? Yeah, so like we said in the, in the introduction, French market regarding concession is very, very different from the US market. So number I'm about to say will probably say nothing to you and it will be probably two or three times that number for the US market. So on the average for the past few years, uh, around 10 or 12 percent of the of the audience uh, also buy something to eat or something to drink. Uh, for Top Gun, uh, this weekend it was 8.1%, so just a little bit below the average, but I think it's mostly explained by the kind of audience we had in France this weekend. Let's not forget that in France, they had also a holiday that was, I think, on the first day, and everyone took their Friday off, so it was like a, a five-day weekend uh, as usual in France, you know. So I think from people that are not used to go to theater at least two or three times a year, it's probably why they're not used to buy a concession. So this is probably why it's a bit below the average. Average, and I'm not really worried that it will probably catch the average just above the average. But to give you a little bit of comparable titles, it's kind of the same as the opening weekend, opening weekend for concession for Batman or for um, yeah for Batman in June actually. Spider Man obviously was uh, a little bit above uh, that eight percent. Yeah. Man, if I go to France and start going to see movies and movie theaters, then I'll like up your percent at your concessions average, just like my own self. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that that may be the case. It's it's always fascinating to see just how this movie going experience and theatrical culture changes from market to market, even when the box office it looks to activate different sectors of the audience. Uh, the last one here that we have on the list from the top performing overseas markets is actually Australia, where the film opened to a very impressive 10.7 million from 343 locations. Rebecca, this was the biggest opening weekend for a Tom Cruise film and the biggest live action Paramount title. I mean, all in all, we have to say great, great results from a movie that uh, had a fair share of questions leading up to the release. And I really do wonder now, I mean, what the situation is going to be with potential sequels. I mean, you, you can't, you got to imagine that Paramount wants to franchise this thing. So I'm interested to, uh, to see where this goes from here, if anywhere. I mean, Tom Cruise is busy with Mission Impossible at Paramount as well. Yeah, I think that's a fair question as we head deeper into this IP-dominated universe here where every studio needs to have big franchise IPs and they also need to have their own streaming service sort of speaking to one another. How this works into that Paramount landscape is anyone's guess. But what we can tell, at least so far after the opening weekend, is that it was worth the wait. I spoke with Chris Aronson, the president of domestic distribution over at Paramount on Sunday after we got these box office numbers, to get his reaction on what this means for theatrical distribution's viability moving forward for a studio like Paramount, and if they feel comfortable with pushing it so many times after seeing this result. Well, look, I think we've hit it out of the park on pretty much everything we've done, starting with The Quiet Place Part 2, which was quite a risk at the time. But, you know, look, we believe in the viability of theatrical. We've tried to be opportunistic and wait for the environment to be right, and I think we've been successful in doing that. But, you know, Top Gun has been a, you know, a two-year wait. And I think all the wait was worth it. And there were a lot of doubters leading up to this release about, hey, we've had four or five release dates. And, you know, hasn't this movie come out already? Well, now it has. <laughs> <laughs> I'm encouraged, Daniel, by obviously the results are fantastic. I think the, the breadth of the audience is fantastic. The reception to the film is just off the charts. And some things are just worth the wait. Clearly, a lot of people did wait to see this film, despite uh, those those myriad delays, and waiting to see the film, and then when they do, seeing it in one of those premium formats. Um, back again, looking at the domestic market, 22% of the overall box office uh, came from premium ticket sales, of which 15% uh, came from IMAX screens specifically. And I got to say, I mean, having seen it at CinemaCon, it is the, you know, big screen experience, Best sound, best audio, best visual you can get. You want to go for that. Uh, Daniel, what else did Chris Harrison have to say? Maybe about uh, how Top Gun Maverick kind of met up with their expectations. Yeah, that's actually something I asked him uh, directly, right? When we were looking at those Sunday numbers, we had the advantage of seeing how it was performing in pre-sales, getting these updates from the studio on Friday and Saturday. So here, once again, is Chris Harrison speaking on the performance of Top Gun Maverick's opening weekend. I think it's exceeded all of our expectations. You know, you're you're cautious. You're always cautiously optimistic. We always believe in this film. I mean, I saw this film for the first time in 2019 and believed in it from the moment I saw it because it's just epic motion picture entertainment. Uh, you know, I think the um, exit polls bear that out. They're just, they're stratospheric. 
Yeah, it's really extraordinary when you consider the type of company that this movie is in. And at its core, this is a human interest drama. This is not a superhero movie. It's quite remarkable. And, you know, it's, it's extremely gratifying for us, for Tom, for Jerry, you know, and the entire cast and crew. I mean, it's just the validation of a lot of hard work. And that was Paramount's president of domestic distribution, Chris Aronson, speaking to us about that opening weekend performance of Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Great, great record weekend here in the United States. We're excited to see how it continues to develop in the coming weeks and months. And as we close out this segment, I do have to ask you, Romeo, before we head over to our feature interview to talk a little bit about your expectations overseas for a movie like Jurassic World Dominion. That's opening next week. Uh, We know this is going to be the next blockbuster, and it's going to be coming out of this great big push uh, that Top Gun Maverick gave it. Any initial observations, expectations, or questions that you have ahead of that release from Universal? Yeah, well, it's very difficult for me to be objective for Jurassic World. I mean, Jurassic Park was the very first feature I've seen. So uh, I'm very, very difficult to be objective, but I bet I bet it's going to be the highest grossing uh, movie uh, for 2022. And uh, uh, I think like we mentioned, the, the, the opening weekend for the for the domestic market uh, should be around 150, 160. I think this is where the forecast is right now. Uh, so a little bit above uh, the, the Tom Cruise one. And yeah, and I think why Tom Cruise and Paramount had this success also is because the marketing was very well executed. They focused on the big screen experience. They focused like, okay, this movie is an event. This kind of audience now rea- react to events. We saw that with Spider-Man. And they are all playing with the same nostalgia thing, bringing the old uh, character. We saw that in No Way Home, bringing Top Gun again uh, and bringing uh, the uh, old character and uh, yeah, the initial character from the Jurassic Park from the, the first one. So yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm taking too much risks saying it's going to be uh, even a success even more that we didn't expect it. Uh, I think that's right. And if we look at that domestic opening weekend forecast that we have over at boxofficepro.com, we've got a wide range here between 160 million to 110 million for that opening weekend in North America. We're going to be providing a daily updates to those figures over at boxofficepro.com. This could easily, easily become a $500 million film domestically. The type of uh, releases that we really need here, building on each other as we head into the summer and start recovering a lot of that ground that was lost over the last two years. Romeo, Rebecca, thanks so much for this uh, quick news segment. And now, Rebecca, let's take it away to your feature interview with the four filmmakers that form part of the NATO Young Filmmaker Program. Yeah, Daniel, uh, at CinemaCon, I had the opportunity to speak with four of the filmmakers behind uh, NATO's Young Filmmaker Program, as well as Aviva Kleiner and Bill Lathrop, who head up that program. Um, It's actually a really interesting initiative where NATO taps working filmmakers to make these shorts about uh, the power and the magic of going to the movies. You can find those shorts uh, on our website, boxofficepro.com, or on NATO's official YouTube channel. All three of them are are really excellent, and I was able to uh, speak with the directors behind two of those, those being Ed Hellman and Katie Staub, who directed There's Nothing Like It, about a mom taking her kids to the cinema. It's really really nice and cute. And then the animated, oddly satisfying cinema, which is from uh, Kelly Schweisfall and Noah Sterling. So um, I will I will say, uh, please do go and check out those short films. They are really great. Uh, 
please do uh, share them on social media. NATO is encouraging uh, exhibitors to do so. I, I, I will ask before uh, before I cut to this uh, this feature interview here for a bit of grace. Uh, from our listeners, because this was filmed at CinemaCon, at Caesars Palace, at, if you can believe it or not, pretty much the quietest place we could find. There's still background noise, but, you know, uh, Caesars Palace, I hope uh, anyone who's uh, who's been to CinemaCon can, uh, can understand that. But without further ado, let's hear from some of the cream behind the NATO uh, Young Filmmakers Program. I am uh, joined today by two pairs of filmmakers who participated in the NATO Filmmakers Program. Um, how did you come to be involved in, in this program? I mean, it's something designed specifically to reignite a love of the big screen, a love of, of movie going. Is that something that like you already felt and were passionate about? How, how did you come to create, uh, create your films? When we heard that NATO was looking to work directly with creatives, uh, that seemed like a very unique, uh, special opportunity, and we're felt really lucky to, you know, get the chance to uh, interface with people that feel so passionately about uh, the audience experience mm-hmm. and also the um, the experience of those, you know, responsible for creating that audience experience, uh, the the theater owners, and mm-hmm. it's just a side of the filmmaking process that uh, I think is a little bit new to, to us and not what we focus on, but it's it's great to see how passionate people are. As filmmakers, how do you feel about, I mean, I, I feel like often there's a disconnect between filmmakers and the exhibition, like how your film actually gets shown. It almost kind of feels like it's treated like an afterthought sometimes. Did you, like how, what was it like seeing your film on the huge screen? Not even big screen, it was pretty huge. It was a large screen and we welcomed it. But I, I think really uh, what this opportunity has um, extended to us is this recognition that we need those who are behind the scenes who are building these opportunities for us. As much as they need the content and the work and, and the creative, if it were not for these people in this industry, this back end, there would be no, no theater. There would be no opportunity to share our work and the work of others um, with a greater audience, and so you, there's there's a camaraderie now. There's there's a support system that we didn't really even recognize was there necessarily because we immediately associated with business, mm-hmm. and that's not the case. We've seen passion; it's surface. We might be on opposite sides of the film industry, but. That passion is there no matter who you are in the role that you play. Also, we have uh, Kelly and Noah who did Oddly Satisfying Cinema, which is an animated uh, short that just the sound of it and just really gets across the sensations uh, in a kind of impressionistic, surrealistic way of going to the cinema. I was really impressed by the sound on, on your guys. How was it like, I mean, same question, seeing it, hearing it played in that system for that huge audience. We knew going in that, you know, one of the key things that would make this concept work, um, which was, you know, the concept was always to highlight, um, you know, the subtle or very sensory moments in the theater that makes it come alive, that makes it so visceral to people. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of animation is that you can heighten those experiences and portray them in a visual medium that not only shows 
you know, the actions themselves, but heightens them to, like you said, um, a bit more of an expressionistic expression of, uh, of those moments. And so a lot of thought um, went into the sound. The world of sound is a creative language in and of itself of, of subtly and playfully tricking your audience uh, to really heighten the sounds more than what you hear in real life. I think with this project, it was not about real life. It was about going a step or 10 beyond to really uh, emphasize and add this magic that we don't always perceive. We're not always attuned to it. So our soundscape is as if you were as attuned as you could possibly be to everything all at once. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the magic of the project is in your daily life, you just might not notice. It's the things we take for granted. And mm -hmm. after COVID, we couldn't take them for granted anymore. We miss those things. So our project celebrates from your head to your toes, all of the senses that you just miss, that place you in the theater space, that make you present, uh, that, that bring your body and mind alive when you're encapsulated by the, the cinema experience. So that, that sound process that really places you in that space is, was so integral and so fun. It was such a joyful process of play and experimentation. And we all, you know, Aviva and Katie and Noah and me and our team, we were all playing essentially um, and tweaking and adjusting. What do you think? What do you think? So it's the best uh, like fizz fizz of a, of exactly. a, of a Coca-Cola product or something. And I thought that was really awesome. I think in our project, there was a lot of play and mm -hmm. that is one of the most magical things that you can ever instill into your work. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really happy to see that come alive in the sound and in the picture as well. Do you remember the first movie you guys saw in a, in a theater? Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Oh God, that! And I took a tiny flashlight into the theater because I was six years old, and I was and I was scared of the dark, and so I took the tiny flashlight in case it was it was going to be too dark and scary. Oh! And I didn't realize because it was my first time going to the theater that you know, the big screen lights up, it illuminates you know the whole environment, and so I didn't feel scared. And you know what? I loved the hell out of that movie. <laughs> the first movie I remember seeing on a huge screen was a drive-in movie. This is very Jersey summer, my childhood. And we probably saw, it was a, they do the classic double feature. So we probably saw Fantastic Four or something like that when I was really young. But my parents wanted to stay and see War of the Worlds. And they said, oh, they'll fall asleep. And I was like, how old were you? Because that's like kids, there's some pretty hardcore like kids in peril action. Oh, I was <laughs> in that film. Young. I was young, young. And I had, I was like, I'm sleeping, <laughs> With one eye open, like, I was engrossed by that movie and th launched into the world of cinema. Katie, I mean, what was was your experience, first movie-going experience, as, as traumatic? Well, uh, my first movie-going experience, and, and this will date me, was Bible Goes West when I was very young. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the movie experience, and I've shared this with the and the movie experience that really, really opened my world to the magic of movies was um, The Rocketeer. And this is an absolute true story. It was not about 
the narrative. It wasn't about the characters. It's the scene in the movie when the Rocketeer is disguised as a waiter and comes over to um, Jennifer Connelly's character's table. He needs to slip her a secret message. In her bowl is the message, but so that her guest does not see um, this message, he ladles tomato soup in the bowl. But the thing about this tomato soup is that it wasn't the classic milky, creamy Campbell's. It was this bright red, fresh tomato soup. I had such a problem with milk. I always hated tomato soup with milk in it. And here it was that I didn't have to have dairy within my my delicious bowl of, of earthy goodness. And truly, that has always stayed with me. And I think it goes to show you that when you sit in front of a, a film and you climb inside, that you're entering a world that is completely unknown to you. Mm -hmm. And here I am, like nine years old, and it's changed my life in the littlest way, but it's changed my life. And it's I mean, you're a complete, filmmaker. It's an education, like, right? It's like you get into the different world and the, and the theater is the way station. My parents were really good about taking me to the movies. They knew I loved it. But I think what stuck with me more was the first time my parents took me to a movie, which was Indiana Jones last Crusade, that they wanted to see where it was like, it was the first time I realized that like, one, that they were letting me into like their world, mm -hmm. and also that I, that this was something that like, I didn't have to grow out of. That like, parents <clears throat> and like adults had this fantasy world too, that they were like, just as into as I was. Mm -hmm. And seeing that, you know, it's like the inverse of our movie, of like, I remember watching my parents watch that movie as like a little kid, and just being like, they like movies too? Like, this is for adults? Mm -hmm. Like, this is for everybody? I'm an adult now. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on in the movie, but... But, like, I feel sophisticated. Yeah. Like, look at this. this it is was amazing. just so special that they, like, cared enough about that they wanted to share it with me, you know? Mm -hmm. And it feels, like, significant because you're not just sitting on your sofa. Right. Like, you put in an effort to go out and pay money and spend time. Like, you're not... You're not doing anything else. It is literally just you're only watching the movie. And, you know, you might be checking your phone, but if you are, you need to leave. <laughs> I feel that way about Matrix. That movie, the first Matrix movie came out the year I was born. And my parents loved that movie. And the Matrix represents to me the way in which parents and, and cinema can be this way to connect generations mm -hmm. and the way to pass stories down but also how stories get remixed and reinterpreted, I think, with my generation now and talking about uh, being trans and having that be a way in which that movie was reinterpreted and maybe it wasn't written that way or wasn't even consciously written that way, but now for people in my generation, that's a keystone film in self-acceptance and self-expression and breaking away from the mold, breaking away from the norm, right? And that was not the first film that I ever saw, but definitely that that hand-me-down, that come into my world, that this is something we are so excited about, and you probably don't even get it. I don't even think I had touched a computer mm -hmm. at the point when I saw The Matrix. Aviva, let me finish up by asking you, I mean, what's, what's uh, this is the first year that you've done this with NATO. Uh, what's the future of this program, and uh, what's the future of these three films, two of which you know we're talking about now, uh, I know cinemas are being encouraged to like share them on, on social. Are they going to be continue to screen? What, what what's the future for these films and the program? Well, so the future for these films is that NATO has made them available to everyone in the industry, mm -hmm. which is really really exciting. You know, because 
not always easy to get access to content. NATO is making this really easy to share on social media, to put a DCP on your screens. Um, in addition to the films, we have behind the scenes content. So if you've got movie fans in your network, you can actually show them the making of the film. Mm -hmm. You can actually show them interviews with the filmmakers and stills from the films themselves. So it's not just the films that they're supporting. I mean, these are films that are meant to inspire people to go back to the theater. They make which you is, think about like yeah, what you take for granted. Absolutely. And it's, it's subtle, um, but it's, it taps into what we love about the big screen experience. And so for people to share that content um, in the industry, it's all about supporting the industry. Mm -hmm. But it's also about supporting up and coming filmmakers because these filmmakers are real filmmakers. They're working in the industry right now. These are the filmmakers that are going to be making the blockbusters of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So um, every brand within this industry that shares them, they're not only supporting their own industry, but they're supporting the filmmakers that are going to make the industry better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a toolkit which we will make access to so that way, you know, when you share it with mm -hmm. box office listeners, you know, everybody can access it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what's happening with this campaign right now, which mm -hmm. is really exciting. For the future in September, um, when the fall, start of the fall uh, semester, mm -hmm. we're going to be launching this campaign nationwide across college campuses all over the U.S. Mm -hmm. and allow filmmakers um, in school and graduate filmmakers to come up with their own ideas mm -hmm. around what it means to go to the movies and what what makes it so special mm -hmm. and actually get an opportunity to pitch to NATO directly and its members mm -hmm. um, come up with concepts and a certain amount of them will be selected to be created as a school project. Mm -hmm. Those filmmakers will get paid to create that campaign, which again will go back to all NATO members and allow them to send that campaign out to their network. And so it's a platform that's meant to create this mutually beneficial relationship between NATO um, its members in the industry mm -hmm. and also filmmakers and creatives that are making the blockbusters of tomorrow. I mean, it makes you think at the International Day, uh, one of the panels with Denis Villeneuve, he was like, I wish I could be more involved in how my film is shown. There are so many middlemen and, and what have you. And it's like, do you feel like after this process or, or being here at CinemaCon has made you think differently about cinemas and, and, and the nuts and bolts and like the choices that, that go into, I mean, Katie, I know you said you made that you have a different perspective. I mean, what's your CinemaCon experience been like? Well, I think we're one day in, and it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. All the free candy aside, um, oh, it yeah. really is uh, to witness um, sort of the makings of um, the theater experience is something that, I mean, you, it's, it's one of those, you think you know, but you really don't know. And so it's really a, a gift to be surrounded by like-minded people, but also people who can teach us a thing or two. This is like really... Going back to what NATO is doing and NATO's role in, you know, having all of the members, the exhibitors, you know, caring for the business, right? But this is the first time they've really had a direct connection to filmmaking, mm -hmm. to the content. It's a big step for NATO and something they're really proud of. And so that's sort of the way I see this kind of step change mm -hmm. uh, in, in this program. These guys. They're really seeing that, okay, now we can actually have a role in the future of content. It's not just stewarding the customer experience and the relationships with the studios. It's how we 
really look at the future. So it's really that first time that direct connection with the content somehow. Kelly and Noah, do you have anything to say about like the, the experience of behind the curtain of movie theaters? I mean, we're we're all from New York, which like apologies to Paris does have the best movie theaters in the world. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. I spent two years making an animated short uh, on like undergrad and. In true New York fashion, the first place I ever showed it, the first time I ever made money from my own work was at a DIY projection and it looked terrible and I cried oh. <laughs> because it was washed out and gray. But also in that moment, I realized everything that goes into curating that picture as it translates from digital file to screen to surround sound is important mm -hmm. and you want to honor the work. The people who are bringing these films to screens and to theaters honor the work mm -hmm. so that we as audience members can enjoy it the way that it was meant to. And that crazy scenario really made me realize what that honoring process is like and all the love and work that goes into it, how special that is. Also, I wanted to comment on NATO's mission to connect with filmmakers directly because I feel like, I feel really grateful to be a part of this because I think our concept is not one that you would see really in any other commercial space. Mm -hmm. It is odd, in true title fashion. <laughs> it is Oddly satisfying. It is inspired by little cruxes of the internet as well as our love of cinema. And it really feels like a piece that is from my own heart, which, when you work in film and work in commercial film is not always something that you get to do. Mm -hmm. Making this project was an immense honor. Mm -hmm. It really felt like the most incredible opportunity to speak from the heart and to connect directly with everyone and to share a bit of myself, but to also bring everyone else into that and into mm -hmm. that love and into that world. So I think NATO's mission came across and, and I feel very grateful to have been a part of it. Because I produce most of the work in the commercial space and the digital mm -hmm. space, you know that work is you, you, you watch it once, you may or may not be paying attention. Mm -hmm. It may or may not be something that you skip after five seconds before the YouTube video you actually want to watch. It may or may not be something you have in the background. And I think that you know what makes movie theaters special is that they are a celebration of the work itself. They are a conduit and a place where people are focus just on the work, just on the craft, and can truly engage with it the way the creators intended. And there are so many things that go into that experience, and I think what's cool about CinemaCon is you get to see how many uh, vendors, how many different businesses, how many different entrepreneurs all contribute to that experience to make the final viewing of, of the art something special. Mm -hmm. I love, thank you guys so much for, for making the films and I really look forward to seeing like your features on the big screen. And thanks again to the four filmmakers that form part of the NATO Young Filmmaker Program. That was Rebecca Pauly interviewing the four of them a couple of weeks back at CinemaCon. We're happy to bring you those insights this week. Uh, from myself, Rebecca, and our colleague over at Box Office Pro France, Romeo Duchenne, thank you once again for tuning in. We will be back next week with our colleague Russ Fisher when Rebecca, Russ, and I go over the entire box office history of the Jurassic 
park franchise universe world we're getting we're getting galactic here in the jurassic park series we'll be bringing that to you in next week's episode thanks again for listening the box office podcast is brought to you by box office pro in collaboration with the box office company and recorded podcast new episodes come out every thursday don't forget to rate us and subscribe every week 